0: Well, tonight, I'm going to start a series on the church. It's not going to be a very long series. It's going to be about three weeks. Uh, Of course, we got the Bible conference right in the middle of it. But I wanted to spend some time. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about repentance. We've talked about fasting. We've talked about some really unique things. But I wanted tonight to begin a series on the church and understand why church is important. Understand why the church is important to Christ, and why the church should be important to us. And so one of the things that I love, I I love the fact that Jesus would often tell parables. Uh, Parables are stories that really just, they have modern day understanding for us. They really speak to us. They really move us. If you read the parable and you understand it in its full capacity, well, Francis Chan, I don't know if you know him, but he's a very popular preacher out in California and uh, used to be, he had some great books such as Crazy Love, The Forgotten God, different things like that. He did a little bit of a video parable, and I want to show it tonight because I think it goes along very well with what I'm going to share with you this evening. So we're going to go ahead and pull that video up, and it's simply entitled The Big Red Tractor.
1: The Big Red Tractor and the Little Village. Once upon a time, in a little field, in a happy little village, lived a big red tractor. Every morning during plowing season, the village people, no, not those village people, would come out and start the red tractor. Everyone loved the tractor and the powerful noises it would make. They would cheer for the big red tractor because he would help them through plowing season. The people worked together to move the tractor. Half of the villagers would push from behind, while the other half would pull. They had been doing it this way for many generations. Some days they moved the tractor 10 feet. Some days they moved it 20. They did this for three whole months every year. Because of their hard work, the villagers always managed to plow the field, just in time to plant and just before the rainy season. The rains would come to water the field. Then the sun would come out to make the crops grow. And then the people would come out and harvest all the new crops. It was just enough food to feed the entire village. One day, farmer Dave was cleaning out his attic. To his surprise, he found an old book tucked beneath his great grandpa's belongings. It was the owner's manual to the big red tractor. This book told about how the tractor was made and all the great things it could do. Farmer Dave studied the book all night. He was shocked by what he was reading. According to the book, if the big red tractor was running properly, it could plow the whole field in just one day. Early the next morning, Farmer Dave gathered the villagers to tell them the good news, but nobody believed him. There's no way that tractor can move on its own, some said. One lady said, it sounds like you're reading a fairy tale. The people laughed at him. This made Farmer Dave very sad. This didn't stop Farmer Dave from believing what he read. Every night, while the other villagers were asleep, Farmer Dave spent time repairing the big red tractor. One night, Farmer Dave fixed the tractor completely. He jumped on the tractor and had so much fun driving it. He ended up plowing the whole field in one night. The next morning, the villagers woke up and were in shock. The whole field had been plowed. It's a miracle, one man said. Maybe aliens came down, said an old woman. No, look over there, a little boy shouted. It was Farmer Dave sleeping on the tractor. It was then the people shouted. He was right, the tractor book is true. The villagers ended up plowing many fields that year and harvesting way more food than they could ever eat. They had so many leftover boxes of food that they began taking the boxes to other villages where food was scarce. The big red tractor in his little village soon became famous throughout the land. They became known as the most generous and life-giving people in the whole wide world.
0: Now I know you're sitting there thinking, why did we just watch a cartoon? Right? What are we going to get from that? Well, it's very simply this. You think about it. We are just like the villagers a lot of times. We are trying to push God alone. We're doing church on our own. We're trying to drive the tractor. We're trying to move it in our own ability. When in truth, the Holy Spirit is the one who needs to be guiding the church. The Holy Spirit is the one who can take care of everything. You see, now the village is the church. And we're the villagers. You know? We're the ones out there trying to do it so often. And we're trying, to, we're trying to do the work of God. But the problem is we're oftentimes trying to do the work of God in our own power, in our own capabilities in our own way, and oftentimes that's why the church fails. But you also think about it because the tractor manual is the Bible. It tells us exactly what we need to be doing. It tells us exactly how we're to be as a church, and if we'll read it and understand it, then we can become exactly the church that God has called us to be. And so when you really put the whole thing together, the analogy is simply this. When the church follows God's Word with the power of the Holy Spirit, it will impact its community, its state, and the world. In fact, it will do more than take care of itself. It will take care of those outside. And that's what God designed the church to do. God designed the church, you ready for this, not to be a country club. God designed the church to be a missionary sending place. And so we have got to be faithful in doing that when we follow God's instructions and God's guidelines. We're we're simply going to look at images of the church. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 5, we're going to begin in verse 25. And the first image that we're going to see of the church is the bride of Christ. Now I know somebody's immediately going to go, wait a minute, Israel's the bride of Christ. I'm not debating that. all right? But I want you to look at this analogy that he uses here in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he may sanctify and cleanse it and the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, I understand that that passage is about husbands and wives, what wives should do for husbands, what husbands should do for wives, and yet the analogy that he uses for husbands and wives is what? Christ and the church. So obviously the imagery can go both ways, that the church is the bride of Christ. He wants it to be holy. He wants it to be blameless. He wants it to be pure. He wants it to be what? You think about this. When you get married, how many of you women, you wanted to wear a white dress? Anybody? Now, my wife said she would have chose black. You know, she just loves black. But uh, she did wear a white dress, all right? But, I mean, you think about it. The reason why they want to wear a white dress is white represents purity, right? Right? It represents purity. And so a bride at that moment is at her, as they call it, purest moment. And so they're looking at this. That's the imagery. And so when we think about the bride of Christ, God wants his church to be holy and pure and righteous. But here's what I want us to get from this too, because I always, it always interests me when people make this statement. They'll say, well, I don't need the church. Have you ever heard people say that? Or, or my favorite thing is, I hate organized religion. Right? What's the opposite of that? Disorganized religion? I mean, that doesn't make any sense, right? You like disorganized religion. You like it when we just come into church and we have no idea what we're going to do, right? We don't have any music planned. I don't have a message planned. We just go out and we just, that's it. Uh, Well, I'm not sure what I'm going to preach on tonight. No, that's not it at all. But here's the idea. When I think about this with the bride of Christ, you think about this for just a moment with your own spouse. What if you had a friend that came to you and said this, all right? If they came up to you and said, man, I love you. Man, I want you to think about this. Man, I love you, but I can't stand your wife. How long do you think you'd be friends? How long do you think your wife would let you be friends with that guy? Right? Right? You think about that. If all of a sudden somebody came up to you and said, man, I just love you, but your wife is the worst person in the world. I can't stand her. I don't want to be around her. I want nothing to do with her. I would hope that you men in here would go, dude, that's my wife. That's my bride. And nobody is going to talk about her like that, right? Ladies, if somebody came up to you, if one of your friends came up to you and said, Ooh, I sure do love to hang out with you, but your husband... Man, I can't stand him. How many of you ladies would be okay with that? How many of you ladies would just go, well, just don't look at him, right? You know, I don't don't know. But you think about it. I mean, if if somebody came to you literally and said, hey, I want to hang out, and then they come up to you, and then they challenge you, and and they say something like this, it's me or them. That's a pretty easy one, right? You're going to choose your spouse. At least I hope you would. Now, imagine this. If the church is the bride of Christ and people are saying, I love Jesus, but I hate the church, can that be possible? No, it cannot. It will not work. It's impossible. None of us men would take that and be like, yeah, that's just fine. I don't care if you don't like her. And nor is Jesus. Jesus says He wants her to be holy. He wants her to be pure. He wants her to be righteous. He wants to present her. What he he wants her to look as she should look. And therefore, He doesn't want anybody around that doesn't love her. Why? You look at the first John. What does first John tell you? If you don't love the brethren, how can you say you love me? It's impossible. You can't do it. So when you think about this imagery, if somebody ever comes up to you and says, "I just hate church," well, then you might as well just say you hate Christ. Well, no, I would never. Well, if I'm not mistaken, husbands and wives are one. I'm just saying. You see, we better not be we better be careful. I'm not uh, here's the thing. Let's just be honest. There is not a perfect church out there. Because it's full of imperfect people. But here's the truth: we as an imperfect people ought to be getting closer and closer to God to where we look more holy, more righteous, more blameless on a daily basis. We need to be getting better. Man, it always blows my mind when people say, well, I'm I'm not going to go to church because there's nothing but a bunch of hypocrites there. What do you think the church is? It's a hospital for the sick. Man, if we were well, we would need church. So why do we need church? We need it because we need each other. And we are the bride of Christ. Well, let's look at the second analogy. It's also found in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. We are the body of Christ. Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 22. And he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. He's the head and we're the body. Now you think about this. How many of you try to take care of your body? crickets right wow all right you think about it I mean what will we do you, you, when how many of you January 1st you decided you were going on a new diet come on be honest how many of you did it all right you think about it we you know we're gonna diet we're gonna exercise we're gonna do everything we're gonna we're gonna look we're go, by summertime we're going to be beach ready right yeah we're beach ready right <laughs> And so we're going to take care of the body. Now, but you think about it. Now, we we take care of the body in many other ways, right? If you go out there and you hit something and you break something, you're going to do what? You're going to go to the doctor. You're going to get it set. You're going to get it fixed. You're going to take care of your body. If you all of a sudden realize that you're sick, you got a cough, you can't get rid of it. You may, well, women, you'll go to the doctor. Men, you'll just wait it out. I know. But you think about it, we'll usually try to take care of ourselves. We'll do what we need to do. If the doctor tells us, hey, you need to be on bed rest, we'll go on bed rest. If he says you need to take medicine, we'll take medicine. We want to take care of our bodies. We don't want to do it bodily harm. We don't walk around beating ourselves over and over again. We don't do those things. Why? Because that's not what our head would tell us to do. And yet, people will beat up on the body of Christ all the time. They'll beat up on the church. As though it's not important. As though it's not necessary. As though it's not something important to God. And yet it is. It's his body. Now you think about this. I love 1 Corinthians 12. It's really cool where it talks about the different gifts that are in the body. And he said, you know, and and I've often thought about this. And and here's, here's something I'd like you to think about for just a moment. Could you imagine if all of a sudden one of your eyes decided to jump out of your face? And it just bounces right in front of you. And it looks up at you and goes, I don't need the rest of you, I'm good. You think I'm kidding, right? Now imagine, this eyeball is now going to roll down the aisle. And somehow it's going to take care of itself. Or what about this? What if all of a sudden, you know, one of your fingers decided to jump off. And it says, hey, I got this. I'm good. I don't need the rest of y'all. What would we think to ourselves? We think that's ludicrous, right? Because number one, how is a finger going to eat? How is an eyeball going to eat? That's just ludicrous. And yet here's what he wants us to understand, that every one of us is a part of the body and every body part is essential. Every body part is necessary to the body. Now here's the thing, isn't it funny? Now some of y'all might be, well, Brother John, you can live without your appendix, Good, but let's be honest, the appendix obviously does something. God didn't put spare parts in you for nothing. They just, doctors just aren't smart enough to figure out what the appendix actually does. Okay. Well, Brother John, you can live without your gallbladder. Well, yeah, I understand that. But you also, well, I'll just leave that one alone. I know what it does. But here's the thing. Yes, you can live without certain body parts. But if you have to go without them if if you see somebody that's walking around without something if we saw somebody without a leg if you see somebody without an arm you see somebody without what is it we they're missing something and that's and they would can I tell you something they'd rather have it than be without it the problem is in the church we have a whole lot of pieces missing because People aren't doing what God's called them to do. And so the whole body is impacted. We had a lady in my first church. She went on a youth trip. They were coming back from Carowinds, which is an amusement park. We had a 26-passenger bus that was just going down the highway when all of a sudden a car comes out and T-bones our bus. They pull over and they stop. Nobody on our bus was hurt, but they got off because it was teenagers in that car, and they wanted to check on the teenagers. So they get out. My youth pastor, a couple of the ladies, and another man get off the bus, and they go check on the teenagers. While they're over there checking on the teenagers with their smashed front end, they seem to be okay. Another lady comes through who's on her phone, not paying any attention. She comes in. She sideswipes my youth pastor, throws him in the ditch, by clipping him, but then smashes right into one of the ladies who's standing there at the car and takes both her legs off. She was lucky the youth pastor was there. He saved her life. He used tourniquets on both legs and was able to save her life. She lost both of her legs. She wanted to get prosthetics to try to make it work. It never seemed to work. She was in a wheelchair. She actually had to get a a van where she'd use paddles on the top to press the gas and brake and things like that. She, in other words, had to adjust her life to fit her lifestyle. She began to have to change everything that she was doing in order to accommodate her loss. Think about that with the church. Oftentimes the church has to accommodate that loss because there are people in the church not using their gifts. And because the body is impacted in such a way, other people are having to make up for it. Other people are having to do more than they should. The first church I was at, I remember first time sitting down with a nominating committee, there was a lady, her name was Jan Morgan. And I remember looking on there and I was like, goodness, her name is like on every committee. I mean, she was on nine slots between positions and committees and nine slots, her name was on there. And I said, guys, this is not right. This woman's going to get burnt out. She's doing way too much. Why is she having to do so much? Because nobody will step up. So we set it up to where they would be on two things at most. And we started going around and talking to other people, ended up being able to get more people involved. And because we got more people involved, the church was able to serve more in the community and do more than it had ever done before. And I'm here to tell you, if everybody does their part, the church will function properly and be able to do what God wants it to do. But it takes every single one of us. Can I tell you something? A church cannot be run by a pastor that does everything. Can't happen. Cannot happen. Will never happen. It can't happen with just a few. It takes everybody. John MacArthur said this, the head gives direction and the body responds. A physical body that does not respond to the direction of the head is crippled, paralyzed, or spastic. So often, that is the image of the church. The third image we're going to look at is the building of Christ. Look at me in Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also build it together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Christ is the foundation, and we are the building blocks. Do you realize that? Now, you think about this. When I was a kid... My dad was a contractor. He built houses. And so my dad would have these piles of wood that he had cut into, and he had thrown them aside, and he wasn't going to be able to use them. Well, I always wanted a tree house. So guess what I did? I'd go over there, and I'd pull the wood out of the discard pile. And I would take it, and I would go over there, and I'd lay it out, and I'd have me some wood so that I could build a tree house. Now, imagine if I would just taken one piece of wood and one nail, and nailed it up there as though it was going to be a piece to a ladder to go up into the treehouse. But I nail that one piece up on the tree, and I say, I'm done. There's my treehouse. Would anybody want to come to my treehouse as a kid? Not at all. Why? One piece does not constitute a treehouse. One brick doesn't constitute a church. Therefore, God never intended us to walk the Christian walk alone ever. It takes many. In fact, it takes people who can be, what? Who can build up on walls, who can be a part of the roof, who can be the windows, who can be the door. There's all kinds of pieces that have to be arranged for a building to look like a building. You think about that. In my first church, we had this building right beside of us, and it looked like it was a condemned building. Broken glass, it was just a cinder block building. It, was, it, looked, it looked like it had never been finished. Somebody said, well, that used to be a mill." I was like, that was a pretty pitiful meal, if you ask me. Somebody bought it to do some sort of little toy development in it. It was very strange. No toys I would ever have bought for kids. But I just remember this building just was dilapidated. It was falling apart. And can I tell you something? That's exactly what the church looks like. When all the pieces aren't working together to create the building that God wants. Now, it's not a physical building because you and I are the building blocks. You see, we could be a church without a building. Did you know that? The four walls do not constitute a church. In fact, the word for church is the word ecclesia, which means the called out ones. You and I are the church, we don't have to have a building. We have a building to meet in, but we are the building. We are the church ourselves, and God is calling us to be together in order to be all that God has called us to be. Now, let me ask you this. Here's here's something I always try to ask people when they begin to talk to me, and they begin to say, I don't need the church. I'll say this. I'll say, can you truly live the Christian life apart from the church? And I'll ask these questions. Can you have true and genuine fellowship with other Christians outside the church? Don't answer these questions yet. Can you have true and genuine worship outside the church? Can you have true and genuine capabilities to tithe outside the church? Can you have true and genuine ministry outside the church? Can you have true and genuine accountability outside the church? Can you have genuine in-depth Bible study outside the church? Can you have a true and genuine prayer circle outside the church? Can you have true and genuine growth in your Christian walk outside the church? You ready? The answer is yes, you can. But why would you when God has already put it in one place? Why? Why would you when God has already created the place and put it all in one place? It makes no sense. Oh, well, and here's the truth of the matter. Those that are outside the church, they're not doing any of those things. They're not. Nobody's holding them accountable or they'd be in church. They're not going to Bible studies. Why? Because they already hate organized religion. And they have to, have to use a book. They don't want to use the Bible. You see, the truth is, is God has put it together for a purpose and a reason. And God has designed it perfectly for Christians so that we might live together, we might dwell together, we might edify one another, we might build one another up, we might grow together, and we might be the people who God has called us to be. That's why the church is important. The church is absolutely important. It is essential to the life of a Christian. Somebody will make this statement. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You're right. You are right. You just have to go to church to be obedient. Hebrews 10, 25, forsake not the fellowship of the brethren. Oh, I can do that outside the church. No, you can't. If you're trying to attempt it, you're just in sin, you're in denial, and you're in pride, plain and simple. God has put us together. We are the building. Each and every one of us. And here's the thing. We need every piece. We need every step. We need every wall. We need every shingle. We need every window. We need every door. We need every part of the building so that it can look as God desires and has designed it. We need to be that kind of church. Where here's the thing. Where guess what? When somebody falls... We don't cast them in the discard pile. We pick them up. We build them up. We love them. We care for them. That's what God desires for the church to be. We are a hospital for the sick, not a country club for those who believe they're righteous. If that's the group you want to join, go join the Pharisees. They'll love you. They'll love you. You see, that's the problem today. We are living in a day and age where there are a lot of Pharisees in the church today. There are a lot of Pharisees in the church today. They believe they're more righteous than everybody. They think they're more holy than everybody. And I'm here to tell you, they're one day going to stand before God and he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you because they're trusting in their own righteousness than in the righteousness of Christ. Man, we got to be the church. And that means that we're going to love everybody. We're going to care for everybody. We're going to pray for everybody. We're going to be there for everybody. We're going to lift everybody up. Man, if we can be that kind of church, let me tell you something. There will not be people, people, if we were known as that kind of church, did you know people would be lining up to come in here? Guaranteed. Lining up to come in here. Why? Because we recognize our own faults. We recognize our own failures. And our goal is just to simply grow and love each other. And man, if we become that kind of church, We will impact Lebanon, I promise you. And not only Lebanon, we'll impact Wilson County, we'll impact the state of Tennessee, eventually impact the United States of America, and impact the world. But we've got to be the church that God has called us to be. My question is simply this. How important is the church to you? How important is it to you? I can just tell you this. I've given my testimony before. But I can assure you of one thing. I praise God every day for that one opportunity that I had. where I worked with a, a youth group, I was in this youth group, and they wanted to go do this youth musical. And I remember going and doing that youth musical. And I saw this group there that was so different from any group that I'd ever seen. They were a youth group that was building each other up. They enjoyed worshiping. They enjoyed reading their Bibles. They enjoyed praying and I had to ask them, what is so different about you than me? And they began to show me what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus. And it didn't take me long to figure out I had a relationship with the people of the church. But they had a relationship with Jesus. And man, that changed my life forever. And ever since then, I don't miss church. I don't miss it. Even when I go on vacation, I like to visit churches. I want to see what it's like to be a guest. But it's great. I praise God every day for his design and for the church. And I praise God every day for the people that God has put in my life to be a part of my life to help grow me. And I hope you are the same.